It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 296 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's Thursday evening, the 23rd of September. Craig Fitzpatrick is with me in spirit. What's up, sir? How are you? In spirit and also in person. Well, <laughs> via the medium of yeah, yeah, Zoom. How are you? Laptop screen, baby. I'm okay. I'm excited about this episode. We're, we're going country, which um, I feel like is long, long overdue. And also, I do wonder, much like the driving episode, are we really qualified to do this? I think some people might get a bit mad. We're not really country aficionados, but this week we are. And let me tell you, I'm on <laughs> I'm on the worst, top five worst country songs this week. And I mean, I, I, I got to say right up front, I mean... Listeners, I'm very sorry for what I'm going to unleash upon you. Some of these songs uh, would call for a review and a refresh of the fucking Geneva Convention. So it's it's going to get really, really tough. It's going to get dirty. Is the genre going to get a bit of a kicking? That's like my worry. Obviously, I'm on top five, like my favorites. And I think there's a lot to be said for Country Done Well. But I think overall, maybe the tone might be like... It's a bit of a weird genre, right? It's, it doesn't always come off. It's a weird genre. I mean, we, we've done songs about religion before and we're not especially devout ourselves. No. But, you know, we lay down that marker, that disclaimer of if you're into this kind of thing, that's great. And we're not here to we're not here to make anybody feel bad. Country's a big business, of course. We haven't even talked about Garth Brooks and his potential return to the country. But, you know, we've got a very busy new section to get to. We've also got an album review to get to. Lil Nas X, who was definitely one of the inspirations, I guess, for us going country this week. He's dropped his debut yes. record. Also, 
also dropped, though, in the last few days, busy week for the show, um, brand new No Ox Chord out now on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash noencore. If you would like to help support the show, the price of a pint or whatever you can afford. In return, bonus episodes, bonus content, episode previews, playlists. Craig is currently working on a Kid Cudi one that I've had early access to and I'm very much enjoying. So we might get that out next week. Craig might, Craig might write a few words on it or something like the old times. And uh, lots yeah. more to come on there as well, of course. Uh, House Plants, interview with Dahi and Paul Noonan, out now on the main feed as well. Some very nice feedback to that episode so far. Check that out if you have yet to. And with that in mind, let's just get on with it. we got a packed episode. Adam Shanahan is back this week, the light of our lives. Hit that sting. Hey, you heard about the good news? Sting, sadly not involved this week, I'm afraid. Neither wrestler nor musician, but instead... <laughs> We've got a busy news section, and I think we're going to get to that right now. The Ivor Novellos, the greatest night in music, has been and gone. And I guess the big winner was Harry Styles. He won for Most Performed Song, the award everybody wants to win, Craig. What did you think? <laughs> it is the big one, and um, it's a bit of a sickener for Noel Gallagher, <laughs> who previously, like eight years ago, apparently praised the event, the Ivor Novellos. We, you know, we have a lot of time for the award show on this show he said previously it's great because clowns like one direction aren't invited and your boy harry styles takes the award which is kind of great right i i like have a lot of time for noel gallagher it just in terms of i think he's quite an interesting character he can be quite funny last year or so he's kind of shown himself up right he's the whole anti-vax thing he's a bit of a i don't know this was great though well, yeah, I mean, like, it was a night for, uh, I mean, like, Noel Gallagher is a rocker of a certain vintage, but, you know, not everybody was left out in the cold, Craig. I mean, I think, you know, in our in our Blitz report of the best night in music, we should note that um, Bon Jovi was honoured. Um, John Bon Jovi and uh, guitarist Richie Zambora were given the special international award for a musical partnership that spans 30 years. How niche can you get? I can't. <laughs> It's such a weird award ceremony. It's bizarre. Like, (laughs) who was asking for this? Who was like, what was the fan base being like? Come on, it's about time. Bon Jovi. Well, speaking with uh, the British Broadcasting Corporation ahead of the ceremony, uh, Richie Sambora named Bon Jovi's Mammoth 1986 single Living on a Prayer as his favourite track by Bon Jovi. The fact that it recognises what's going on behind the scenes, the songwriting that is happening... I just feel very honoured and very humbled. Uh, I think he's speaking about the Ivor Novellos there. And he said about Living on a Prayer, that song affected everybody planetarily almost immediately. It gave people (laughs) hope and it became a big hit in 24 countries. So I'm pretty proud of that one. Incredible. This is like a fucking accountant's night out or something. This is so weird. Planetarily is amazing, isn't it? It's just, yeah, I don't know. Definitely had a bit big impact. I mean, you know, if you go to any late bar in Leakslip now that things are opening up again, exclusively Leakslip, yeah. Invariably, the night will end with <laughs> living on a prayer. So terrible song. I was. I say. remember back in the uh, in, in in my Drahada clubbing days, uh, local lo- local <laughs> night spot fusion would always uh, the cue to to get out of the club. The last song they would always play was uh, "Hey Jude," I think, by the Beatles. So, you know, there you go. Some more origin story for you there. Um, Not all great news, though, this week, Craig. There was a major celebrity death and an unlikely uh, friend emerged from the shadows. Who was it? So John Chalice passed away. Um, He was Boise from 
Only Fools and Horses, and um, Ice T has been paying tribute to him, which was quite nice. I, I kind of liked, <laughs> I really liked this one where it's just like, apparently they became like internet friends, Ice T and Only Fools and Horses star John Chalice. Um, <laughs> posting on Twitter alongside Chalice drumming to Motorhead's classic <laughs> Ace of Spades, uh, Ice-T said, I heard John passed away. He somehow became a Twitter friend. I'm very sad. Although I never met him in person, internet friends become close, RIP. And actually, they genuinely seem to, like, hit it off. <laughs> like, in recent times, the pair were, like, chatting on Twitter. Uh, John Chalice would, like, kind of wish Ice-T a Merry Christmas. Um Ice-T would be like, you know, really into his kind of comedic tweets. Earlier this year, responding to a fan who tweeted, used to be hard, what happened? Ice-T quipped, I came, just give me a few minutes. And John Chalice responded with like an emoji, like a, an image of him just like laughing his head off. And he was like, oh, like last month he was like, I really want to meet him in New York next year. Hopefully things are going to, I don't know, we can hook up. But it was very sweet, very kind of weird. Um, the I guess the kind of good side of Twitter. Right? Oh yeah, I mean, I would say not to put too fine a point on it, but I'd say it was nice tea. Not quite so nice tea <laughs> this week, though, Craig. Um, veteran rockers, the Smiths. They have a new enemy, a common enemy. It seems. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is that quote that everyone says? Um, is the enemy of my enemy my friend or my enemy? We've you know more in common than that which divides us. Morrissey and Mar back together, you say. I believe you have the full rundown of this one. And who, in fact, has provoked their ire? So it's, it's Rick Astley. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> he's done a cover um, of some Smith stuff. He's he, Basically, he's formed a Smith's cover band with Blossoms, who aren't the worst band in the world. They're pretty decent. But um, there was footage during the rounds like last week of like him doing the full Morrissey thing and like really like amping it up. They're doing gigs together. And of course, on Twitter, because, of course, Morrissey is not the world's greatest person. A lot of the narrative was, um, wish Rick Astley was actually the fucking 80s frontman we deserved. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, I can get on board with to an extent because he's not an awful racist person, but also it's Rick Astley. Um, (laughs) Well, hang on, if I may, um, just to jump in here, because like Rick Astley is a very shrewd operator, Craig. I mean, obviously he's leaned in, he's leaned in very hard to the whole Rick Roll meme thing. But also a couple of years ago in Joe, I remember like his manager or his agent or whoever was representing him contacted us and I ended up getting into like a long WhatsApp exchange with this guy because he was like, I've got footage of Rick. Rick Assey was supporting Take That in 3 Arena Um, and then he went from there to Whelan's or like whatever sidebar they have and performed for the the baying crowd um, and like did like a medley of like Take That song and uh, that giant song, the Calvin Harris Rag and Bone Man thing. Is it Rag and Bone Man? I think it is. And obviously, of course, his own classic hit. And, you know, I was like, yeah, sounds like Joe content, sounds like it might do some numbers, but whatever. And like he gave us the clip, you know, we had the exclusive. It was a very exciting day. Um, And it fucking did numbers. Like it was like 5,000 shares. (laughs) Like I was like, people like this guy quite a bit. And he's a showman. He's cheesy as fuck. That's his thing. But the Smiths want him him out of town. Is that that what I'm getting from this, isn't it? Essentially, yeah. I mean, um, so there's been a statement released from Morrissey's people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
amazing. Like great. Apparently there's a new album coming. Some journalist, um, Fiona Dowdle, a kind of released an article called Morrissey, Astley and the Usual Suspects, which he kind of, um, it was shared on Morrissey Central, which is like your go-to hub for all Morrissey info, which he seems to oversee. And it was just kind of like, with several online users praising Astley and claiming they'd rather have Astley the Morrissey and numerous, almost always, anonymous accounts chiming in with the Smiths were much more than Morrissey, it is perhaps time to revisit the music legend's immense impact on the world of pop and to recognise that he was and will always be the heart of the Smiths. And um, yeah, there's been a lot of kind of movement on Morrissey's part to be like, actually, do you know what? I was kind of the Smiths. And um, Johnny Myers kind of also come out as well, which has been a bit weird because he seems like your go-to, like happy-go-lucky, very... Um, nice dude, but he wasn't really having it whatsoever. He kind of just, um, let me just try and find the tweet now. Um, yeah, so Smith's guitarist Johnny Marr gave his opinion on the covers shows, calling it both funny and horrible at the same time. I met the Blossoms a few weeks ago and they elected to not mention it which is like them becoming a Smiths cover band with Rick Astley and then people were kind of wading in just being like what's your problem with this and he said yeah they didn't mention the shows they didn't mention when we were hanging out must have slipped their minds and a few days later he said uh, FYI all you head cases I've got no problem with tribute bands or anyone else doing anyone's songs and I've got no problem with Rick Astley there's a backstory that's that but he's not enjoying it whatsoever. Well, I mean, there are worse crimes, I think, in the music world. I think it's, you know, poetic license, isn't it? There, what about all the other Smiths cover bands? Like, why go after this guy? It's not like he's making a fortune off of it. Or, or, like, is he or are they? I mean, we talked about it, like, on the show previously, where it's just like, if you're Johnny Marr, right, and you've written so many incredible guitar tracks and had, like, this incredible legacy, and you're clearly at odds with Morrissey's weird kind of political views, etc., surely your biggest kind of point of consternation is the fact that he's running your legacy through the mud, like, week in, week out. So I don't know if Rick Astley's really the problem, right? Well, uh, you, you say being run through the mud, and that's precisely what has happened this week to Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, I've very much been enjoying this story. Machine Gun Kelly decided to pick a fight with Slipknot. It didn't end well. Um, and like Machine Gun Kelly's a weird one because like I think on this show before, if anything, I've, I've kind of praised him. I've said that he's a capable actor in like whatever I've seen him in. I think he's got a bit of a presence. And then, of course, a week ago, we didn't get to talk about it in the show, but there was that altercation with... Um, uh, a horrible human being known for uh, cage fighting and other things. And I was like, yeah, go Machine Gun Kelly, you rule. Um, yeah. But not this week, Craig, not when he goes after my boys. Um, so essentially the backstory here is Riot Fest took place in the States last weekend. The kind of festival I would go to tomorrow if I possibly could. Health were playing, <laughs> Slipknot were playing. Um, apparently Slipknot were a last minute replacement for somebody and they were clashing with Machine Gun Kelly's set uh, across the fucking, whatever the concourse is in this place. But Slipknot were the bigger draw, of course. Machine Gun Kelly apparently didn't like this and he was on stage and basically like said to his crowd, he goes, hey, you want to know what I'm really happy that I'm not doing? Being 50 years old, wearing a fucking weird mask on fucking stage, talking shit. And I think he went for them again. And it was just like, OK, this is this is kind of strange. Um, this seems to stem from an interview that Corey Taylor did a while ago in which he didn't name Machine Gun Kelly, but he did say the following. 
Uh, I hate all the new rock for the most part. I hate the artist who failed in one genre and decided to go rock. And I think he knows who he is, but that's another story. Now, Machine Gun Kelly, of course, shot to fame as a rapper. But in recent times, uh, he's gone all pop punk. He put out an album called Tickets to My Downfall, which was produced by, and I think Travis Barker plays drums in it as well. And it's, it's exactly what you think it would be. He's gone emo. That's his new thing. And I remember that album getting a bit of like, you know, praise. And I, I kept being like, oh, I must get around to that. I listened to it today, just before yeah. this podcast. It's terrible. It's really bad. <laughs> I'm shocked. It's very cynical. Um, but then again, at the same time, you know, musicians can do what they want. If you want to change genre, you're allowed to do that. But it does feel a bit of like a bit of a cash grab, a bit soulless. Anyway, um, Machine Gun Kelly, of course, uh, you know, has talked further because this feud has been spiraling out of control all week. And essentially he went on Twitter and he said, very odd, this is Machine Gun Kelly, very odd that when an artist talks shit and I respond, I'm the bad guy. He then said that Corey Taylor is only mad at him because he did a verse for the Machine Gun Kelly album and Machine Gun Kelly, mm-hmm. like, took it off because, quote, it was fucking terrible, so I didn't use it. He got mad about it, talked shit to a magazine about the same album he was almost on, your stories are off, just admit that he's bitter. Sounds like case closed, right? Sounds like Machine Gun Kelly won the day, but no... He didn't, Craig, because Corey Taylor came along with his own receipts. He posted screenshots of emails back and forth with him and Travis Barker from last year in which uh, Travis Barker and Machine Gun Kelly expressed adulation and really, really like overt joy that Corey Taylor was going to appear on the track. Corey Taylor came back and said, look, I don't think I'm the right guy for this one. I wish him all the best. Good for him. But it's not for me. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say no, guys. Thanks, but no thanks, essentially. And yeah, that's kind of a checkmate for me. And I, I also greatly enjoyed that when um, when Corey Taylor brought this up, um, he tweeted and said, like, you know, uh, I don't like people airing private shit like a child. <laughs> so it was just very much like... Totally, yeah. I think it's a sad feud all around. Uh, but I, I do think that it was funny as well. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, not the best look for Machine Gun Kelly. And I agree, like, once you see the screenshots, there is a kind of thing of like, okay, maybe he was just being overtly polite and being like, oh, it's amazing. Like, I love it. Maybe you could try it this way. But also, I mean, you've got someone just like leagues above you in terms of talent, importance and blah, blah, blah. Why drag this out? It's just, and again, yeah, Corey Taylor's comeback was just kind of like, he kind of ended him and... um yeah, it's, I don't know. The overall takeaway is why was he even working with this like, buffoon, I guess? Well, I mean, Machine Kelly alleges that Corey Taylor's verse was terrible, which to be fair, when I first saw that, I was like, yeah, I believe that because like, you know, featured sure. artists and Corey Taylor's solo album as well was not good for all the great stuff he does with Slipknot. He does play into the rock guy persona and that can be very grating. Uh, same time though, like uh, I saw someone else, I think it was a Stereo Gum comment because they were like, uh, one of Machine Gun Kelly's tweets was respect the youth. And some guy replied and was like, mate, you're 31. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it's young, but nonetheless, um, a weird one, one to keep an eye on. They'll probably end up collaborating or something, but you know, it's a pretty, you know, he swung for the fences and he missed. Um, uh, Tell us the story, Craig, would you, about um, Richard Nixon, Elvis and John Lennon. So, okay. So, Whispering Bob Harris has revealed some knowledge and he's he's done this podcast. He said that Elvis was once asked to spy on John Lennon by Richard Nixon. Um, first of all, I'm like, I haven't heard from Whispering Bob Harris in 
decades. I'm going to have guess. to ask you who this person is. Yeah. I, I don't want to be the Simon Mayo to your Mark Komodo here, but I genuinely don't know who you're talking about. Whispering Bob Harris, no? No. Like, okay, I actually never listened to him, of course, but isn't he kind of like a legendary kind of BBC radio dude who used to have like a late night slot and he was just kind of like quite influential in terms of alternative music and blah, blah, blah. No, isn't he kind of like the, he's the, like, he's the first whispering dude, right? What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is he like a druid? I think he's kind of a druid, right? Yeah, I think so. I think he came out of the 60s. I think he was the first DJ that wasn't all like ebullient and stuff. He was like, I'm just going to play some like Stones hits and whisper a bit. And people were like, yeah, that's the shit. So yeah. Up to speed? I think so. So he was talking to, <laughs> he was talking to Gary Kemp on some random podcast. And he said that like... Richard Nixon recruited Elvis Presley, who was apparently like a really good mate of Richard Nixon, to spy on John Lennon. And um, Bob Harris was like, yeah, if Lennon ever left the United States during Nixon's tenure, he wouldn't be allowed back in. Uh, To quote, it sounded like it was almost a figment of Lennon's imagination when he was saying, my phone was tapped, I get followed everywhere, but it was true, he really did. Nixon was out to get him, and that's why John was stuck in New York or stuck in the States. He knew were he to come back to the UK, uh, he'd never get back into America again, not while Nixon was in the White House. Uh, Nixon was a great friend of Elvis and vice versa. Nixon had Elvis to gather as much information about John Lennon as he possibly could. Now, there is that like famous photo of um, Nixon and um, Elvis. Have you seen that thing where it's just like he's he's given he's given like Elvis some really token, uh, some bullshit award of just like you're now sheriff of America or something. And he gave him like a gun and stuff. And like Elvis was like all pleased. There's like this incredible shot. Um, but I do remember the Beatles previously talking about like, obviously, of course, they kind of got into rock and roll because of Elvis. And... I remember McCartney being like, they met Elvis kind of late 60s when he was on the downturn. And I always remember McCartney being like, he was a bit weird and like uh, didn't live up to the hype and he didn't seem to like us. And yeah, so it's a weird kind of generational clash. I don't know. What are your vibes on Elvis? Well, my vibes are that him being some kind of weird sheriff of America with a gun is like something straight out of a Fallout game. So I'm kind of for it. Um, yeah, my vibes on Elvis in general, I never really did it for me. Um, I can appreciate, you know, what, what, what am I doing? Am I really about to say like I can appreciate the impact <laughs> the guy had on music? Uh, like, let's just move on. Uh, last story this week, Northwest, Kanye's daughter, Kim's daughter. What's she up to? She's gone full got, Dave. Good stuff. Um, I saw you trying to. I saw you on Twitter saying that if you could, if you could do it all again, you'd be, you'd be a goth. Is that where this came from? I had a moment. I was listening to um, KEXP during the week during work, and um, Lullaby by The Cure came on, and I was like, do you know what? I bloody love The Cure, <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of, you know, I flirted with goth tendencies back in my teenage years, but I never had the. I never had the gumption. I never had the confidence to go full goth, yeah, get, get into the whole look. Um, or it's black a great polish, look like if you can pull time. it off. Yeah, I feel like maybe I could have done it, but yeah, no, I was just more of an indie kid. Um, That's okay. Smash Cut to Kim, Kim Kardashian revealing that um, North 
uh, her and Kanye's um, daughter is a got girl who listens to Black Sabbath and she was on the Ellen show which apparently is still a thing it's the last ever season we're all like really upset about that but she's gone full got which is kind of amazing right imagine being Kanye's daughter and you're eight years old and what you're listening to is Black Sabbath (laughs) and she's apparently into Hot Topic she puts on fake tattoos on her face listens to Sabbath she's like gone full got girl which is Kind of the coolest thing ever, and fair play to her. But it's like, Jesus Christ, can you imagine that existence? Like, I'm all for it. I think it's a cool thing. Fair yeah. play to her. She'll have no trouble for the rest of her days. So might as well <laughs> go full goth now. Do it early. Get it in. Establish it. Bring it back. Um, but also cool, I guess. Also kind of iconic. Also dominating pop culture is the subject of our album review this week. It is, of course, Lil Nas X, who shot to fame on TikTok a couple of years ago. He's back with his debut album. There was an EP before. This is the debut album proper. The album's called Montero. Let's have a track off it right now. That's Industry Baby by Lil Nas X, a character who is dominating the industry. And I have to say, Craig, up until this point, I haven't necessarily taken the whole Lil Nas X thing incredibly seriously. Obviously, you couldn't walk down the street with that old town road following you around a corner. Um, But, you know, you suggested this album. feels like the right one to do. feels like the moment for this artist. Is it time to take this artist seriously? And can you tell us a bit more about them? Thank you. For sure. Like, it's a big debut release right and even like I was trying to do a bit of background on Lil Nas X and like once you google him you're kind of looking for as you wade through album reviews you see stuff like Sean Paul Gaultier is doing a collaboration with Lil Nas X he's featuring on like the Times 100 list of like the most influential people he's a big part of the culture now at this point um 22 uh he's from Georgia um, so I guess born 1999, summertime for humanity. And um, yeah, so Little Nas X took his name from legendary rapper Nas, added a little, um, born Montero, Lamar Hill. And I feel like the album title is like very much um, a purpose point of him being like, it's going to be a big pop album, but it's also going to be completely like me just laying everything bare and um, really kind of getting across where I'm at at this point in time. Um Yeah, we've talked about him before on the show. A kind of, I don't know, he's a very modern pop star, right? So he essentially started from being a kind of um, Nicki Minaj stan account and then climbed a stack of kind of memes to get to prominence. He decided um, a couple of years ago that music was his way forward. That's how he was going to, it was going to be his route to fame. Um, Of course, Old Town Road, blew up uh 2018 it was kind of him nicking a production like a beat that was um nine inch nails kind of rework on youtube that he just found and just kind of deciding okay i'm going to take this kind of thing do a hip-hop thing to it but also a country thing and it just became like um 
the biggest single of all time, kind of. Like it was just when you look at the records it had, it was Billboard uh, number one for like 13 weeks. Um, huge, it was huge controversy, of course, just like that. It wasn't featured on the country charts because it was not seen as a proper country song, which was absolute bullshit. We've talked about it on the show before where it's like it actually totally was. Got lots of people to hop on it, Billy Ray Cyrus, and just kept the kind of meme going. Um, and since then, yeah, he's just become a kind of major um, personality, I guess, in the tabloids. There's been an EP since then, which I think we thought were was like pretty decent, um, Seven. Some of the songs, there was good hooks on it. It didn't really, um, it didn't really have a huge impact, I guess. Um, so it was kind of that thing of like, will he just become the next novelty star. But the run-ups to this album has been like, the singles have been pretty good, I would say. The music videos have been um, making headlines. Um, he see, he feels like a very necessary force and personality at the moment. Um, but I just wonder, how does that translate into an actual album of music that we might like to enjoy over the course of whatever? How did you find this? Um, well, the first thing I will say, just to kind of uh, piggyback on what you were saying, uh, like the whole icon personality thing, because like Pitchfork referred to him as an icon in the subheading of their review. And I saw that and I was like, oh, really fucking, like we're really breaking this word out, aren't, aren't we? But I, then I yeah. kind of, you know, did some digging, looked around, paid a bit of attention and I'm not on TikTok, but like even just looking at the videos that rolled out of the album campaign, uh, just Twitter, whatever, probably actually a fair word to use a very modern icon for sure it seems to be very very embraced by pop culture um and then yeah it begs the question does the album even matter uh does the album yeah. hold up is it just content um i think it is all of those things but i think it's good um i think it's very clear to me that over the course of this record which is 15 tracks but it's like 40 minutes and it kind of flies by and you know it's kind of a game of two halves I mean there's some memes doing the rounds about like you know me listening to like you know all the bangers on Lil Nas X album followed by me listening to all the sad bangers whatever and it's like yeah, he kind of has those two speeds I guess um, which you should be familiar with already from whether it's Old Town Road or whether it is some of the better cuts on the EP like Panini and Family which are two tracks I really really like um, I think it's clear to me from listening to this that he has set out to make the best album that he possibly could. There is sincerity here. There's an awful lot of lived experience here. And of course, there's the entirety of uh, queer representation amongst uh, rap at a time when it probably needs it, I think. Mm. Um, and certainly to such a uh, proud degree, such a kind of like front and center, holding nothing back, being completely unapologetic. Not that, you know, like even me saying like, like why, why would you be? But like, there's still a stigma, you know, there always, there's always going to be. And I think in a genre such as this, I mean, for all the strides that have been made every now and then you need a fucking like just completely in your face personality to come along. And I think that for the most part, he does back it up with the music. I think this is a good record. I do think the limitations show though. I think, you know, he can only kind of do so much. Uh, he's supported by a lot of featured artists who are here and arguably outshine him here and there. But, He's got, a, he's got a real taste for melody. Um, it can be a bit repetitive. It can be a bit overfamiliar. Um, and it does kind of, it feels like he, he exhausted the well of his creativity. But in doing so, it's a case of throwing everything out the wall and just being yeah. like, let's, let's really fucking go for this. So I really, really respect the ambition and I respect the commitment to it because I was very much coming in with, from a cynical point of view of, 
you're you're like a musician like third you know like you're like a you're a pop culture icon you're a tiktok star you're a personality you're 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 a meme you know you're you're always on twitter does do you care about the music which is very unfair of me to even think that but you know it, it can be very overwhelming when album is like all the way down that list but with the album going front and center now um I think that the balance has been redressed quite a bit. Um, I'm more into the melancholic stuff on here than I am the the kind of straight ahead bangers because they're good, but I think they're forgettable. Um, this has been a very easy listen over the course of the week. I think for the most part, I've listened to it a whole bunch. It doesn't really stay with me though. Um, every now and then I'll kind of seize on one or, one or two tracks in the back end, uh, like Tales of Dominica. I think is great. Lost yeah. in the Citadel is really, really good. Um, I, I like it when he, when he does that. It closes well as well. It's very polished. It's very kind of, it's, it's, I think it's the best Lil Nas X debut album it could be, but I don't know how good that is. And also I will say as well, like maybe this isn't even a fair comparison, but like kind of a nice palate cleanser after Donda and Certified Lover Boy. It was nice to just hear like uh, someone kind of just go for the jugular and just not fuck around, which he's done. Yeah. Yeah, I think like in terms of like pure pop terms, it's a very, it's kind of mission accomplished, right? As a debut album, there's some like really good bops here. It's kind of infectious. It's fun. It does the kind of light and shade of his personality really well, I think. Um, deals with his kind of struggles and then success. And um, yeah, I think with a lot of kind of big pop albums as well, there is some duds. Um, there's moments where it sounds a bit wafer thin. I think sometimes the production lets down the kind of song ideas. Um, it just kind of, I don't know, if you go back to kind of um, Old Town Road, it just feels like he grabbed a kind of inspired Nine Inch Nails beat and went country at first time of asking and it seems like maybe there's similar levels of slapdashery here where it's just like there's a whole host of um, producers on these beats and it doesn't always feel like it might be their best work but then I guess the big songs are pretty great there's like it, you're instantly into a kind of instant hat trick of great songs the Spanish kind of guitar opening um, of the of the opening song is like maybe his best kind of anthemic calling um title tracks great um that kind of when he does the kind of six string sparse thing like old town road it works really well i think he does a good job of like capturing his evolution so far and the kind of desperation of like trying to become a celebrity become a known name and how that kind of leaves him hollow i think um the horns are great there's bags of melody um there's times where i think the instrumentation is a bit lackluster like there's just there's moments where like it's a pure pop album right like i think when he tries to go all in on the hip-hop thing i don't know if it's it's his forte he just occasionally will sound like a, a travis clone to be honest and the biggest surprise for me with this album is because he's got such a kind of big personality. He's such a kind of captivating character. Actually, the songs are kind of great. The song is great. There was moments where I was just like, I don't feel like he is that captivating, um, I guess, melodically, um, vocally. So, yeah, there was just moments where I'm like, if he's trying to kind of lean into the hip hop thing, if he's trying to be a kind of Travis um he's not quite on a par with that but when he like properly embraces the pop thing he he's kind of great he's great there's like moments there's songs where it's just like anthemic um very like all out 
almost ebullient kind of anthems, just like with the horns going and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm fully, fully on board with this. And I do think it does a good job of um, switching from the first part of the album is very much pop songs, pure like ebullience. And then he switches quite nicely into a kind of um, more exploratory thing of like looking at where, like how he got to this point. Um, there's an introduction of kind of acoustic stuff. It gets a bit emo, which I think actually really suits him. Um, and he he wears that well. Like it's the best moments I think on this album are kind of pop punky moments. They're kind of emo moments. They're moments when he brings in guitars and he just kind of gets real. And I wasn't really expecting that. And I think that's kind of where the highlights lie. But yeah, I think that, you know, he such a long lead into this album. Um, I think the EP, as you said, was like, there was good stuff on it. But I think this is an album that does justice to his level of personality and where he's at at the moment. I think, yeah, he kind of delivered. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, faulted too hard i think yeah some of the textures are definitely dated uh, i think yeah. some of the beats some of the drum sounds are kind of just a bit like are we are we really still stuck in this template kind of formula like really sure. yeah it'd be nice if like it's funny you mentioned the emo thing because like first of all i was thinking that well he's better at the machine gun kelly is and second i was thinking that like god it'd be nice if you had a travis barker on here and i think travis barker's on family on the 70s yeah. so it's like Ah, uh, maybe next time get like a live drummer and that'd be kind of cool. I mean, I, I think he can do what he wants, right? The world seems like it's his oyster. He's somehow managed to just like create his own genre, create his own kind of place in the industry, place in celebrity, place in music. He's good at it. I do think it's a bit lightweight. It doesn't really, it doesn't like it's, it, it feels sometimes like I'm watching a film or something like he's, you know, like there's a script here. There's a, there's a production, there's a performance. A lot of money's been put into this clearly by whatever label he's ended up on. The music videos themselves are hugely choreographed affairs and look incredible. Um, how long can it be sustained for? Who knows? I think he'll always have a place in like the entertainment world if he wants it and seems like a force for good. I like yeah. the record, but I didn't, you know, at times it was just wallpaper. I mean, I guess I'd go 6.5, but it's a recommend. It's worth checking out. And it kind of, it, it stole my cynical heart for a few hours this week. I'd go six as well. I think, yeah, he kind of delivers. I don't know. He's such a kind of captivating character. I don't know if his musical ability quite matches up with that, but there's some... Um, bulletproof pop songs here and I think that's kind of what you want I, I think you get the kind of full story of where he's been to this point um, paves the way for possibly more interesting stuff but I think I, I think he, he's like pure pop like he just he needs to stay away from like more hip hop influence stuff because I think there's more interesting voices in that realm and I think he just should be our kind of modern day Madonna do you know what I mean like I, I just feel like he exists in that realm and does it really well Hey, maybe he can hook up with a, with an Aaron Desner or a Jack Antonoff and who knows what what, what delights could, <laughs> could await us down the road. Um, but no, he's compelling and fair play to him. Um, right. Compelling as well in its own way is the genre of country and Western music. And that leads us into our top five. Uh, you kind of had it at the top of the show, Craig. I mean, are, are we going to give the genre a kick? And what does country and Western music mean to you, if anything? It doesn't mean a whole lot. <laughs> I'll be honest. Great start. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It's one of those genres where 
I've struggled. I've really tried to kind of get into it. It's such a kind of phenomenon. It's such a kind of insulated world. Um, there's also that weird thing where in Ireland, um, we seem to have a particular affinity for country and Western music. Like it just seems like we're a country that really chimes with the whole Nashville thing. Um, of course, <laughs> all of the news in the past week or so has been, Garrett Brooks is doing it again. Five nights, baby. He's coming to Croke Park. And... Um, yeah, I've I, it's always kind of left me slightly cold, but I think I think there it's a genre with a huge emphasis on songwriting, which is always great. I think there's some examples of incredible songwriting that's maybe overlooked within it, but it's just it's a weird one, right? Because Nashville is its own kind of industry. Um it can get a bit cheesy. It can be terrible but I think there's some gems there maybe so I'm doing like I found some really good songs I also tried to tried to stay away from like um just doing a pure alt country like um thing of just being like oh like um I don't know the Rolling Stones recorded this song and it's it's kind of country so this is my top five I went I tried to go properly Nashville and actually be adjacent with that industry I'm very excited about your top five worst songs <laughs> Because I think maybe you had more material to wade into, but yeah. Uh, like, I had to stop. I had to genuinely <laughs> pull back from the precipice because it's like country, like for one I can tell, country western music seems to be, it's its own language, it's its own religion, it's its own corner of the world and quite a large one too. Um, and of course, like, you know, there is like Americana influence stuff that we do like, for example, Tandem Felix, David Tapley. I wouldn't call him full country, although he has done a country covers album on his Bandcamp, I believe, for charity. Um, yeah. Plays pedal steel. You know, I mean, like it's, I don't think it's a genre that we can be too sniffy about. Not that we're necessarily going to be. Um, that's always dangerous with any genre as well. But I, I think we've tried to handle this with care. But from my point of view, um, I, I would have had to have a fucking hazmat suit to kind of <laughs> get to grips with some of these songs. Uh, I, I guess before I kick it off, because I think we want to end on a high note. Uh, did you say that you had some kind of intro clip prepared in, in line with, uh, with, with, with the man I th- himself? I think I've said in the chats before and when the kind of Garth Brooks news broke, I, um, I very openly said, I think this is an all-timer. Here's <laughs> a little bit of Garth Brooks. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't know <laughs> the way it the way it all would go Our lives are better left in chance I could have missed the pain But I'd have had to miss the Incredible. <laughs> it's a tune, right? Oh, it's amazing. He's an insane human being. Um, of course, I always I always associate that with um, the first go round with the Croke Park fiasco and um, that summer where I remember some canny operator in um, Ortiz production studio just being like, it was the World Cup. Germany hammered Brazil. Do you remember this match? Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Was it 8-2? 8-1? Yeah. I think it was 7-1, um, maybe, possibly. 7-1. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And to close out their highlights at the end of the match, just after the whole gig thing had been cancelled, 
they played the dance over clips of Germany destroying Brazil and <laughs> Brazilians and children just crying in the stands in Brazil. There was also, there was also the game where, the, where Neymar was injured and they were holding his jersey aloft while crying yeah. in the in the starting lineup and I saw this and I was like oh I think they're going to get hockeyed and then it was like just unbelievable incredible it was incredible um, such a good choice I, I do kind of like that song I mean it's a great song. he's a megastar um. it's unironically a great song um, but as Garth Brooks would say what was it you said on Facebook that time it's time for the conversation to begin <laughs> let the conversation begin. let the yeah. conversation let the conversation begin uh, i'm on worst worst country songs for me the process was um how you know how deep can you go i really had to pull back i got to five pretty fast and i was like okay i've gone high profile you know like like i i, I didn't me doing a forensic deep dive of bad country songs would have been maybe that's when i would have been getting a bit cruel so I picked five songs that I think are, I feel like probably condemned by country fans. You know, I, I think, okay. I think, I think any country fans listening to this would be like, that's fucking trash. <laughs> like, don't associate that with my beautiful genre. And that's fine because who would? And we'll start <laughs> uh, <laughs> with a horrific, a horrific number from the hazy summer of I think 2000 and oh, it was 2000 yeah and this was everywhere in, uh, this is in top 30 hits this was all around the place we all heard it and we all had to live with it here it is let me you don't know why you can't turn around and say goodbye all you know is when I'm with you I make you free and swim through your veins like a fish in the sea I'm singing follow me Okay. <laughs> the clip I cut for that was way too long. It just kept going. I will say I was distressed there to see Adam and Craig both bopping away to Follow Me by Bit Uncle Cr- Follow Me by <laughs> Uncle Cracker. Uncle Cracker, who of course was best known at that point as being the turntablist for Kid Rock, uh, went out on his own for at least a brief period of time. Although I think he's released like five albums to date, which is kind of disgraceful. Follow me, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, where do you begin? Uh, just really, really horrific flat line of a song. And that kind of thing where it was like, it lumped in with stuff like Sugar Ray, uh, Bare Naked Ladies, yeah. a, a really horrible microwave pop time for, I guess, big American radio hits. And this is country. It's a fusion of country and pop. And it's gross. Um, I, I just found it to be so insistent, and it was really was everywhere on that um, when it, when it came out. It was like a worldwide hit, reaching number one, Craig, in eight countries: Australia, Austria, oh Denmark, Germany, New Zealand, Scotland, Sweden, and Ireland. Number one over here. What happened? Um, he reminisced about the song in two thousand seven 
when he's talking to MTV News, and he said, it takes on a couple of different meanings. I've heard some people think that I'm talking about drugs, or some people think I'm talking about cheating. I guess it's kind of both. I would never want to say it, and that would get me in trouble, though, being married with a couple of kids. That song is like a dirty picture painted with a pretty brush. Uh, he was then divorced seven years later, but has since remarried, so he's doing pretty well. Um, yeah, I wanted to start with like just the oral equivalent of a sick bag. Um, I think it's just like... <laughs> It's just the worst trappings of what I believe terrible country music to be, right? It's just like this, so phoned in, so passive, insipid. just like this insipid yeah. attempt at like, yeah. you know, communal bullshit. And just like, who would follow this guy? Apparently a lot of people with their money into, you know, local record stores, which I just don't understand. Uh, a sad time and a sad song. And that's the only way I could kick this thing off. That's great. Is he like? Have you got much background in terms of? Is he a big country star? Like, if you go to Nashville, has he <laughs> made? <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's the whole thing of like, um, your man Aaron Lewis from Stained became a oh, country yeah. star, he's and he's now Maga, huge like, with that audience. Yeah. Did Uncle Cracker transition? Is he a big deal in the kind of southern states? It's just a weird kind of ecosystem. I can imagine him being a big star in that kind of thing. I don't know. Well, I mean, as far as I know, like he hung around the Kid Rock thing for a very long time. I'm not sure if he's still involved there but like i say he has released like a bunch of fucking solo albums which is just kind of bizarre uh he's also worked with a artist or or sorry sorry so the backing band for kid rock is called (laughs) twisted brown trucker uh formed in 1994 and they they were on his album as well double wide is the name of the the record that this came with um yeah look i'm sad to report he is still a jobbing musician uh he does appear to be more associated with country these days but like I had to kind of, I had to get away from it for a while, but he hasn't, he hasn't released um, a solo album in, in nine years. So we're due, like, you know, and yeah, it's all country. It's all fucking (sighs) Sony laid back, you know, like a record made for lazy afternoons of day drinking. Um, And just like, (laughs) but apparently like that one though, like the Midnight Special, which is the album he made in 2012 was described as his first full length country album. So I think he was trying to kind of catch trends. I think he was trying to mix it up. Uh, he even did a WWE, WWF uh, theme tune back in the day for uh, X-Pac's group X-Factor, which is uh, well regarded as one of the worst of all time. So the mark of quality is Uncle Cracker. Fair enough. Okay, I'm going to open with, and as I said, kind of in the lead in, I didn't want to go to like alt country and just do a bunch of indie songs that are a bit country. Um, this is what my one admission to that kind of genre. And actually, to be honest... A few years ago, it, it could have been a top five of Ryan Adams kind of songs, um, Wilco as well. But I'm going to steer clear of the kind of rockier stuff. Um, this is my one admission to alt country. And I actually think when you listen to Nashville stuff that's in the charts at the moment, doesn't really have much relation to pure country. This actually sounds like an all time country song and it's glorious. Here you go.
Jayhawks. It's blue. It's um, a hugely influential act in terms of uh, Uncle Tupelo, which became Wilco and yeah, Ryan Adams and that kind of whole alt country movement in the 90s. They were great. I love the kind of harmonies. Um, their first couple albums are just really worth kind of revisiting, <laughs> visiting. Um, Gary Laris and Mark Olson, they were just tremendous. And they kind of do sound like there's a bit of kind of rock in that sound for sure, but they sounded like straight roots stuff. Um, they have that kind of thing of you can imagine the two of them just, you know, bowling you over in some like dive bar in West Virginia, like two kind of good old boys just kind of like getting up and singing like an absolute bird. A lot of their songs, you're just like, this is the kind of stuff that like David Lynch dreams of. Do you know what I mean? And I adored a song. I think the lyric, always thought I was someone, turned out I was I was wrong, is a quintessential country lyric and one of the best lyrics of all time. And yeah, I would hum- like definitely recommend their stuff. Um, they're a bit slept on. They never quite, kind of hit the heights. I think they had a falling out throughout the years. They kind of regrouped and got back together for various tours. It doesn't seem to quite stick. But I think we've talked before in the show about like Graham Parsons, who was... Um, great country artist and doesn't feature in my top five spoiler alert but he kind of had this idea of it um coming up with like a cosmic american music where he took in bits of rock and folk and just blended it with this kind of very country and western southern states aesthetic and just made his music all about kind of american individualism and i think the jayhawks did that best and maybe better than him um and I think they're a bit slept on. So yeah, I, I love this song. I think they're great. I think people should seek them out. That's a gorgeous song, Greg. I really, really liked it. Um, however, uh, for me, <laughs> for my number four, um, I'm sticking with homogenous chart country um, okay. and just kind of like stuff that just feels really intangible and just like lame, if I can, if, you know, if I can go that far. Uh, so Number four for me, uh, two good old boys. You mentioned two good old boys. Well, here's two bad old boys. Here they are. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. You can you can you can see the creative agency meeting there, can't you? Like you can just see like let's get all the cliches in. That's Florida Georgia line and the song is called I Love My Country. Um so yeah, it's just like bottom of the barrel tick every possible box the video is the same the video is just like people hanging out and having a good time um it was actually released in march of 2020 um which we all will know was a difficult time for the world but thankfully this was here there's a great write-up of this in usa today that begins thus florida georgia lion unleashed a new single on friday i love my country the first song offered to offered to be to be detailed fifth album from the country radio powerhouse uh with I Love My Country, the top-charting duo featuring members Tyler Hubbard and Brian Kelly deliver a country rock jam tailor-made for summertime. 
We've been in here working on our new album. We've been jamming, been having a good time, and we can't wait any longer. It's time, said Hubbard. The song's <laughs> jolly tone, with references to fishing, barbecue, and a lakeside hang, could be relieving during this quote-unquote uncertain time. So there you go. Battling the pandemic in the form of a good old country hangout. Um, just soulless, emotionless. I, I, I think I first came across these guys when they did a song with Bebe Rexa, like some terrible, like... She'll do a country song, I suppose. Let's get these guys in. Uh, just major label nothingness that sells out stadiums, you know, like probably gigs like country to country and that kind of stuff. And look, I'm sure there's a place for it. But for me, like what country music is supposed to be about is what you just played for us there. Like like I could hear immediately the heart and yeah. the the short storytelling, you know, the kind of the narrative, the, the the like the walk a mile in my shoes thing, and it was, and even like even I think in that like thirty second clip or whatever you had, like there was clearly some emotion. I mean, this yeah. is genuinely just feels like AI or something, right? It just feels like so algorithmic and but, horrible. But is isn't that kind of the Nashville? machine right because it's like i genuinely i've got you know you'll you'll hear from my top five where um it's kind of a lot of older songs and stuff i did actually make an attempt this week to be kind of like do you know what is tim mcgrath actually really good does he have a really good song? do you know i was like i was trying to dive into like current humongous country stars in nashville and just all of the music the thing that my biggest takeaway was just like, it doesn't really, like with that, it's it's clearly obviously country music, but it's not really country music, is it? Like that's just a pop song. It's got yeah. like all the kind of attendant modern stuff. It doesn't really have any relation to kind of roots or folk music. It's just, it's, so it's clearly a pop written song by, with written a by southern committee. accent. Yeah, 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 written by committee, written for radio play, written for like, you know, the country, Hot 100, whatever the Billboard equivalent is or whatever they, whatever it's called. Um Tim McGraw, you mentioned there, by the way, does that mean that you won't have his uh, stirring duet with Nelly in your top five? I, I hope it's there. Um, didn't quite you? feature. <laughs> I feel like that was in the top five previously, was it? Was it worst collaboration or something like that? <laughs> no, I don't think we had that one. But do you know the song I'm talking about? I think it was like 2004 or something. The, the Where it, uh, Accidental Racist, is that it? No, 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 no. Tim. Oh, sorry. That was, yeah, yeah. You're thinking of uh, LL Cool J and I am, I am, some yeah. other guy. The Nelly and Tim McGraw song was like a hilarious video, one of those split screen videos that were big at the time. And it's like they're on different planes and they're going through like their respective professional and personal travail. Actually, yeah, now and you mention it, it's over and over out. again. That's actually yes, a bit is. of a bop. Yeah. It's a bit of a bop. And I, <laughs> I, 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 I considered it for this list and then I listened to it again and I was like, that's kind of a bit of a bop because, you know, it's got that like, because it's all in my head. I yeah, think yeah, about yeah. it over and over again. It's like, it's actually kind of like, yeah, it was a real extra written anthem when I was there. But at least, at least that pairing, which was cynical, which was designed to unite fan bases and make as much money as you can. That felt at least a little bit more wholesome and kind of organic than Florida Georgia Line. I mean, like, what are we doing? Okay, um, let's go for someone that <laughs> had huge critical acclaim. Um, sadly, passed away last year from um, COVID, but just one of the best country songwriters of all time. And actually, it was one of those things where I didn't know a huge amount of his stuff and then his sad passing just made me kind of dig in and this is an artist where I was like I could have picked five of his songs he's just incredible a huge kind of country star here we go and the grass grew around his brain and gave him all the confidence he lacked with a purple heart and a monkey on his back 
Two things, if I may just jump in ahead of you, Craig. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure on the show recently, I, I, I predicted that you would have this artist with this song in your top five. And I think you said that you didn't even know that song that well. And second, I'm fairly certain I played this in Hot Press one day in the office. And both you and whoever else, I like, just turned around. They were like, are we, are we really listening to this? And I was like, sorry. John Prine. <laughs> it's John Prine. <laughs> it's Sam Stone. It's incredible. Uh, maybe okay I was wrong he was like he was uh, you know I overlooked him for a long time I think he's <sighs> I've spent the week properly getting into John Bryan and he's incredible um first of all just like so pure country just like the misery the void um Jesus Christ died for nothing I suppose incredible the fact that he's doing songs about like Vietnam veterans and that can be such a hokey kind of cliched thing but he just puts a different spin on it and um I yeah I admit I was kind of wrong I should have got into him a bit more I love him just as a kind of character I like the fact that he was kind of Nashville adjacent right like I think his biggest hit um was a song for someone else, but it was also like a kind of parody of all the kind of country tropes. And he didn't even claim to have written it until kind of years later. Just one of those characters where um, the best kind of country and Western songwriter, but was only acclaimed by maybe the kind of rock artists like your, your kind of Dylans and stuff. And um, as I was saying, like there's so many great John Bryan songs that I'm now getting into. It's it's not quite a Steely Dan fascination, but I'm just like, yeah, he was incredible. <laughs> so yeah, this is Sam Stone and it contains that lyric as well. Like there's a hole in daddy's yeah. arm where all the money yeah. goes. It's like <laughs> fucking hell. I know. I it's know. a devastating song. It's an incredible song. But I mean, like for this to pop up in your list, I mean, I mean, are are you all right, my friend? This is a dark, dark number. It's wonderful, but woof, heavy. It is heavy. And actually, do you know what what I like about the medium of country music when it's done really well is, yes, this is heavy. This is kind of like your cliched dark country thing. But he has so many songs where he tackles kind of not very fashionable themes. And I think country can do that thing where it's like, it's not fashionable. It can be a bit lame and it can be a bit like he's got like, um, hello in there is one of his best songs to my ears where it's just like a song about growing old and being like a kind of an old couple that are kind of like fed up with life a bit and just going through all those details of like how mundane life can be. And I think country music at its best can tackle those kind of like not so glamorous aspects of life and just like bring magic to the kind of plain spoken thing and I think John Prine was incredible at that so yeah it's very I'm very much on a journey of discovery with John Prine um I, I he's slept on him for way too long he's a genius well um the good thing about going to this kind of dark well is that you know I will have something absolutely boisterous and ridiculous lined up next. And boy, do I. I mentioned Extravision Anthems. I wouldn't call this an anthem per se, but this did haunt me when I worked there. So Adam, if you could do the honours, please, for my number three. my Chevrolet for your Escalator, your Freak Parade. I'm the only John Wayne left in this town. And I saddle up my horse and I ride into the city. Save a horse, ride a cowboy, 
think it's like a law that these songs have to escalate into like Lethal Weapon riff guitar at the end. That is uh, Big and Rich, Big Kenny and John Rich, imaginatively titled Big and Rich. Would Save a Horse, open brackets, ride a cowboy, close brackets, from April of 2004. And massive chart hit on all points of the world, it seems. And yeah, it's just like, I'm sure some people got a bit of a kick out of that one. I'm sure it was played in local nightclubs the world over. Um, it's just the most obnoxious trash going like there's like, I can't even get into the, you know, the, the, the banjo flourishes that bring to mind the opening theme tune to the great television show justified. Uh, I, I, I went back and forth in this one for approximately five seconds. And then I said, no, (laughs) this is the devil's water and I can't, I can't hold it down. They should be ashamed of themselves, Craig. That's what I think. I've an admission to, to, to make. Um, oh, I, no. I recently, <laughs> oh, no. I recently watched Sonic Highways, the Foo Fighters documentary series, where there was like, it was basically Dave Grohl traveling around different cities in America and like talking about the kind of musical heritage and meeting up with people and stuff. And for some reason, I ended up watching it. And it wasn't bad. I'm actually he's a very likable dude. Um, Is he? Yeah, I've heard that. They. they <laughs> nicest man in rock some people might say but actually some of the episodes were good in terms of him going to Washington and talking to kind of the hardcore um, originators and stuff that was really interesting but he did a Nashville um, episode and the whole kind of tone of it was very much like him arriving in Nashville and recognising that Nashville is like an awful monster of just like industry and it's all about chart hits and this is a perfect example where it's just like it's so far removed again we, we, we've, we've kind of mentioned this before it's so far removed from what country music kind of is but it's a pure country song and it's a massive hit and it's just like well, it's a fusion. It's, it's the void. It's, it's the a, void. It's a fusion, Craig. It's a fusion of yeah. country rock and country rap. So it's two respective <laughs> genres coming together. But yeah, I guess like it's it, like it would be. It would have been interesting. It would be interesting to maybe poll some hardcore country people that we may or may not know um, to be like, it, well, what about this? And I assume I would hope that most people would be like, that's get that out of my face. That it, that this is just braying crap that goes worldwide, right? Becomes a radio yeah. smash. And like, I assume if this comes out today. Um, it's probably a TikTok dance or something. There's probably like a big kind of viral campaign associated with it. But back in the day, it was just good old fashioned music videos of these two lads milling around, being obnoxious and terrible, and it appearing on the box three times an hour and me being like, I'm going to take my break now. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> I can't find any redeeming factors in this at all. I, I think it's just too... It's just too... Um, it's like a home invasion, Craig. It's 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 the home invasion of music, and 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 I want it out. So I'm washing my hands of it now. Fair, okay. Um, so I clearly, you know, um, my last pick was quite existential. I think you know, me picking country songs, we're always going to kind of go that route. Let's double down on a song about um, trying to avoid death. Here you go. Sometimes I don't know where this dirty road is taking me Sometimes I don't even know the reason why But I guess I keep a gambling Lots of booze and lots of rambling 
Towns fans aren't there waiting around to die. Um, pure kind of black country. Um, an incredible songwriter. I've loved him for years. Uh, he, he himself kind of passed away very young, early 50s. And, you know, he had addiction problems. An incredibly kind of rich lyricist and very much lived the cliched country like outlaw lifestyle. Um, hugely influential in terms of country music. Um, Steve Earle, who is, I guess, now one of the biggest kind of um, standard bearers of alt country stuff. Just adored him. Uh, took a huge amount of inspiration from him. Named his son after him. Um, Justin Towns Earl, who sadly passed away with his own kind of issues last year but Townsend's aunt yeah he was an interesting character he was kind of very similar to Grant Parsons in terms of he was born into like a wealthy family and it wasn't kind of the hard scrabble background you might kind of expect from country but he just like was given a guitar by his dad at like the age of seven and just fell in love with music and just had his own struggles just fell in love with music and was tremendous like he's He's one of those kind of country adjacent people where I guess he's more influential and respected than he is. He, he never had the biggest sales. Like his biggest hit, I think, was Pancho and Lefty, which was um, hit number one, um, the Billboard kind of country charts. Um, but it was kind of, it was it's, it's one of those things where all of his biggest songs were interpolated by Emmylou Harris, Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard. They all covered his stuff and probably most people didn't realise it was actually Towns Van Zandt, but an incredible artist. And yeah, I, I think when country really leans into that thing of like plain spoken and unvarnished, but like poetically catchy, it just like a song like that really gets under your skin. It's lived in. He never felt like affected. It didn't feel like he was also mythologizing that whole thing of like, um, there's, there's not a huge amount of glory in this thing of like, you know, I'm a kind of a rambler. I live a hard lifestyle. It's, he, there's no kind of glamour in it. It's just like, this is my life. Uh, this is quite existential. I don't know where it's going to end up, but he finds beauty in it. And it's all about those kind of moments of survival. And I think that's why country music can actually be really good. You um, <clears throat> you mentioned Willie Nelson in passing there, which made me think, oh man, maybe I should have picked that uh, Jessica Simpson's countrified cover version of These Boots Are Made For These Walking boots, yeah. <laughs> from the Dukes of Hazard remake, but I didn't pick that instead. Uh, and I feel like I feel like I've I've just been throwing like tasty morsels out so far. It's been a bit of a starter menu, but I've two left, and it's main course time. Let me tell you. And in fact, I've got two clips for this one, but I'll play the first one. Um, I, I man, uh, Sophie's choice this week. I mean, going back and forth on what should be my number one, what should be my number two. This was this was my number one. I I, I made a very late judgment call to, to bring it down to the silver medal territory and I want to just start by offering a disclaimer um, if there are any sensitive ears in the in, like in your vicinity listener any small children or people of a nervous disposition I'd advise you to get headphones on for the next for the next portion of the show because here's my runner up honey <laughs>
I've been waiting. I've been waiting 48 hours to get this into your ears, Greg. Uh, a, a song that should genuinely be brought before a judge. It's a tr- it's Trace Adkins, and the song is in fact called Honky Tonk Badonkadonk. Uh, Trace Adkins is like yet another superstar country singer, absolutely massive. He actually has done some acting. I saw him in like The Lincoln Lawyer, the film that kickstarted the reconnaissance. Adam Sonic Arctic okay, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Sonic Arctic Adam is crying. <laughs> He's crying. He his glasses He's literally off. crying. <laughs> Um, it's a disgrace. It's 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 vile. It's repugnant in all the wrong ways. Brings to mind that Nickelback song that would follow years later. Um, Adam is genuinely crying. This is incredible. Um, remember that Nickelback song? Um, she keeps me up. I think it's called. And it's just like the, the moment when these lads go full knowing cheese, but yeah, kind of just make a song and a video that. I'm not even joking. I mean, like, could be used in divorce proceedings, right, for leverage, because it's just like, what the fuck are we doing? Um, I'm going to play a snippet from the ending. I, like, on, if I had my way, Craig, I'd play the entire damn thing, and it's about four minutes long. Uh, it's just red flag after red flag after, like, oh, really? And and not even, like, I'm not even applying a 2021 lens to this. This was out in 2005, I think. Um, uh, yeah, I think it was. I'll have to confirm that, but I'm fairly certain it was, it was the, that weird mid-2000s time period. It was a big hit. It was a crossover hit. And as far as I'm aware, it is disowned by the country community. Um... But yeah, like even even from a basic levels of taste point of view, it's just unbelievable. Um, here's another snippet from towards the end of the song when Trace Adkins is really feeling it. That's it right there, boys. That's why we do what we do. It ain't for the money. It ain't for the glory. It ain't for the free whiskey. It's for the but don't get down. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's the worst of music, isn't it? It's that's not as music. Bad as it gets. It's not music. <laughs> that that that's like you morning radio wacky guy uh, who's later like you know fucking fired from the station under mysterious circumstances. I mean, like if you haven't figured it out, listener, it is in fact an ode to the gluteus maximus. Um, it is in fact Trace Atkins and his mates. Um, absolutely lusting uh, and lolling their tongues over the female form um uh, there, there's like there's I think I read like a breakdown of this song and they were like Trace is uh, all about the shapely buttocks and I was like Jesus oh fucking Christ um, you know it, it's maybe it's ahead of its time you know I mean like you know before the word thick with two C's came, what am I even doing here get me out of this Craig get me out of this hellscape Honky so tonk, when, I, when, when I was watching um, Sonic Highways, <laughs> Dave Grohl was roaming about Nashville. Um, this artist <laughs> pitched up um, <laughs> and kind of expressed their displeasure with how Nashville became this kind of machine where it's just very wafer tin pop shite, like we just heard there. And um, Huge Star has had huge pop hits, but maybe a little more substance, I guess. Here we go. Jolene, 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 Jolene I'm begging of you, please don't take my man Jolene, 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 Jolene Please don't take him just because you can Your beauty is beyond compare With flaming locks of auburn hair With ivory skin Nice of emerald green. <laughs> Dolly Parton. <laughs> 
Jolene, uh, yeah, one of country's kind of biggest stars, and I guess most importantly, one of the biggest talents. Um, she's fantastic. <laughs> Probably the only country star with a team park, I guess. I'll, I don't know. Maybe Tim McGraw has like a rodeo, a traveling rodeo. I've, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, she's tremendous. She's also moved the needle so much in terms of country music, just a really kind of odd star I guess as well because like she starts her career with a song like Dumb Blonde she plays up to that kind of caricature um blonde character that we all know but she's just like such a canny operator one of the most talented songwriters out there and performers and that's a weird thing in Nashville as well like they don't like their singers being the songwriters because there's this whole thing of just like you'll have a songwriting partnership then you will get the performing artists and she kind of smashed that system um and just yeah she's she's such a kind of institution at this point I think maybe people forget how much uh, how different she was, how she kind of broke up the real book, but she's still very, very Nashville. And yeah, Jolene's an incredible song. I, I was torn between this and I Will Always Love You, which I actually genuinely think is a brilliant song. And like, of course, we just, whenever you hear that song, you just Im- like immediately go to Whitney Houston's version of it. Um, but I think the original is very tender and very affecting and it still kind of moves me. And she wrote both of those songs in one day. <laughs> like just such a prodigious talent, like just incredible. Um, and yeah, she seems like a good egg. She, you know, switched this up to be like a vaccine song as well. Um I know we're kind of, did we kind of call her out for doing some like kind of brand stuff last year? Where oh, she yeah, was yeah, doing, she did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My well, bad. Well, I Dolly mean, Parton's like, awesome. <laughs> I apologize. I mean, yeah, I think she's so, she's so all consuming that inevitably there will be some kind of barriers here and there. But yeah, no, listen, I mean, I should say as well, like, I mean, like I, I, I expected her to feature. I thought it might be this. It's unstoppable. Um, maybe, you know, like Dolly Parton, like in country almost sounds like a cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason. And what she has done over the course of her career uh, in kind of establishing herself as such an icon is incredible. I do wonder, though, like like just how like I'm sure like how sinister is it beneath the surface? Right. I mean, surely, surely no one's that nice. But I will say um, I haven't heard it yet. It only came out today. I know the Nile Nine podcast have done a Dolly special this week. So okay, for cool. anyone who doesn't check that out, go check it out and come back to me and let me know if they get into the nitty gritty or if it's just pro Dolly all the way through. Either or. Um, before I move into my number one, uh, I want to I wanted to go back to honky tonk, badonka donk man himself, Trace Adkins, for just a second. Because <laughs> I meant to note that, like, obviously country songs are famous for being, like, you know, uh, loss, you know, like... The house burned down, you know, like, like she left me, my dog died, whatever. Um, Trace Atkins has a song, it hit number one on the on Canada's country chart. I haven't heard the song, but the title alone, I Left Something Turned On At Home. That's great. Like, that can only be a, a, a classic awesome. right there. But my number one, um, massive, massive song, would appear to be universally despised. And there's just something really, really upsetting, I think, and unnerving about the the tone of this, um, the delivery of it, the <laughs> the insistence of it, how casual it is, but how cynical and weird it is, how cold it is. And I will say that troublingly, when Adam Shanahan, our sonic architect, uh, checked out the clips that we had this week, he said about this song, I'm in love. So Adam's a convert. 
Maybe you'll be too, listener. Here is my number one worst country song. A red solo cup is cheap and disposable. In 14 years, they are decomposable. And unlike my home, they are not foreclosable. Freddie Mac kissed my ass. Red solo cup. I fill you up. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. I love you, red solo cup. I lift you up, proceed to party. Now, now wipe those smiles off your faces. This is not okay. This is Toby Keith, and the song is Red Solo Cup, which, of course, is an ode to the very American institution of the Red Solo Cup, the plastic red cup that people drink at, you know, keggers and frat parties. And I guess it has actually, in fact, made its way into Europe culture in recent years. Like, you will see them at Irish parties and stuff. But it's very, very... You know, call it college American football kind of stuff, right? Cheerleaders and jocks and whatever else you've seen in those movies. Uh, this is a disturbing video in which Toby Keith is milling around a house party, um, trying to get everyone involved. And like, you know, it's all very knowing, but I think it's gross. Uh, it's barely, it's barely formed. Like, it feels formless. Like, there's barely any music happening. Um, he sounds like he is like in a vocal booth on a bad podcast not you know like this is a good podcast i hope but like it just really upset me this one i think it just felt like i found that I, like i stepped into that party into that world and i didn't like what i saw or how i felt um it's so insistent it's so grim this guy's massive by the way i think his net worth is like over it's 500 million that. or something he sold uh, a ridiculous amount of albums across the world and he has 19 studio albums two christmas albums and five compilation <laughs> records. Uh, he didn't write this, though. It was written by uh, Brett Warren, Brad Warren, Brett Beavers, and Jim Beavers. And I think it's the only song on whatever album... Three Tub- people wrote this song. <laughs> four people wrote this song. Four people Sorry, wrote yeah, this no, song. Yeah, four, 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 four people wrote this song. <laughs> Fucking hell. Much in um, that room. And yeah, Toby Keith didn't write it. Uh, Insider magazine ranked it as the second worst song of the 2010s. Toby Keith said it's the stupidest song I ever heard in my life. But, you know, it was his biggest hit to date so i guess he's laughing all the way to the bank um yeah it's just like i don't know like it just there's something about that kind of like the melody the the way it kind of fizzles together like i I just keep having these images of like early early season homer simpson after working like four days in a row or something and he's just completely delirious and he's got that weird broken homer voice from the early seasons and his marriage is in trouble and the kids can't get him to pay attention and he's dying and i just hear like red solo cup and i'm like that's just it's really unnerving but adam loves it apparently He's nodding his it's head. It's a bit of a bop. I no, mean. no, no, no. I can't. I, I can't. I, I can't sanction this, Greg. I can't. I just. I, I'm sorry, but like, it's. Like, I, I know. Do you think this encapsulates everything that's wrong with country? Is this the thing of just like it's soulless? It's clearly again, as we were saying, just pure commercial, just nothingness, right? It's just, I mean, like, again, I don't know if it's a fair reflection of country. I have to think that it isn't. But uh, this to me is everything that's wrong with people. It's everything that's wrong with humanity. <laughs> it's everything that, that, that's wrong with a bad house party. Forced fun, you know, like like pressuring people into like, you know, ah, like, cheer up, it'll never happen. Like, you can imagine Toby, Toby Keith like, throwing his arm around you and handing you this red solo cup full of who knows what. Um, not for me. Although beer pong is pretty fun. You know, you need some red solo cups for that, I suppose. 
That's true. Okay, let me try to restore your faith. Um, nearly picked a more upbeat song from this guy, um, like a chipper anthem to cowboys and rhinestones and country. But let's go, um, because of course it's my list, with a kind of bloke sadly fixing some 20th century telecommunications infrastructure. That's you all over, yeah. I know I need a small vacation. But it don't look like rain And if it snows that stretch down south Won't ever stand the strain And I need you more than won't you And I want you for all time And the Wichita lineman is still on the line. <laughs> Wichita lineman, uh, Glenn Campbell. This was immediately my na- nailed on number one. There was kind of no disputing it whatsoever. I think it's one of the greatest songs ever <laughs> written, regardless of genre. And yeah, it had to be there. I think it's um, it's a Jimmy Webb song. So Jimmy Webb wrote it. Um, and Glenn Campbell was an incredible kind of performer, country star, really kind of bridged the, the kind of, brought kind of a lot of pop and soft rock and country stuff together and had a lot of big hits. But this is pure kind of country to me. It's just like, it's that interplay between lyrically, it's very kind of conversational. It's the small kind of day to day almost mundane details that kind of make it all the more devastating. And um, it's been said that this was like the first ever existential country song, which I don't think is probably true, but I do think it it is very existential. It's like the whole song is like a metaphor for, you know, dealing with kind of internal struggles and then that becoming a more universal thing. And this kind of thing of like a bloke, alone working away physically and emotionally just kind of isolated but what he's doing as a job is mending literal kind of connections for other people to get in contact and yeah um that that there's a few lines in it that are just like all-timers i need you more than want you and i want you for all times one of the best lyrics ever written and it's an incredible song um glenn cabell was such a talented artist like a really rich back catalogue it went out on a real kind of creative high isn't probably the right word but like he was he was battling alzheimer's uh, in his later years and um was still releasing great very unvarnished very um real kind of music i'm not going to miss you was like one of his last songs just a great great artist um beautiful voice and yeah this is one of the all-time greats right yeah it's amazing um and yeah, for sure. Like it's kind of, it transcends genre, as you say, like, yeah. like it, it has such a, it's such a footprint, right? It has such a, like, like I know so many of my friends love it or always referencing it in different ways. We mentioned David Tapiatana for this course. I'm fairly certain he loves this song. Um, it's a classic. It's an all timer. Uh, you mentioned existential country. Uh, maybe we should have done top five existential country songs. I feel like <laughs> Red Solo Cup and Honky Tonk Badonkadonk apply because they're <laughs> they're of an existential despair um, For sure. and, and crisis and void, as you did previously say. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's such a strange one. I mean, I don't think we were ever going to fully crack 
the country code on this episode per se. I think it was more of a, you know, we're hightailing out of town in some kind of truck with a Confederate flag on the side that we've stolen, because of course we would never support such <laughs> declarations of division. Um, but yeah, um, I think I'm happy with this. I think I'm happy with the uh, with, with the detour that we've taken. I feel like I need to wash off a lot of the picks I've chosen, but um, yeah. For sure. But you know, I um, I wrote a story this week about Garth Brooks and his um, looks like, you know, almost getting closer to the confirmation that he will in fact play Five Nights or at least is trying to. And um, I think my sign off line was, um, but what is country and Western music, if not drama, persevering, which was my nice little nod to Beautiful. the best line it. anyone ever wrote ever in that fucking Marvel <laughs> show, apparently. So... There you go, folks. That's no encore for another week. My God, can you believe it? Unbelievable. I can't. I won't. But I will pay tribute and respect to the wonderful, the amazing, the returning sonic architect Adam Shanahan, who has guided us through. And he will have a brand new episode of Before the Encore on Monday, this coming Monday, in which Adam talks to industry figures and gets the lowdown about what's going on in their professional lives. That's coming soon. Uh, Craig, how are you feeling about the weekend? Um, the musical artist or the actual weekend? You can pick one. I've been listening to a lot of House of Balloons recently <laughs> and it's great. Okay. It's tremendous. <laughs> tremendous. I love it. Um, and yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Craig's Kid Cuddy players that he's currently working on. We're going to throw that on patreon.com slash no encore very soon. It is patreon.com slash no encore if you want to support the show. And by all means, listen, whether it's on whether it's on Patreon, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's emailing us directly, uh, I think it's noencoreshow at gmail.com. Um, let us know your favorite country stuff, man, because in fairness, I know I need to be educated, so I'm more than willing to hear from the good side beyond Craig's excellent five shouts this week. So for now, my name is Dave Hanrady. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There shall be no encore. We're back next week. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 